Grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And also with you. Let's greet one another at the beginning of this worship hour. We invite you to take our friendship pad and pass it down the row. Love to know the names of those who worship with us on Sunday mornings. Trust that you will join with us in our fellowship time this morning between the services. In our second hour this morning, we're going to be dedicating our church school teachers and our preschool teachers and administrators. So we're looking forward to that as we celebrate the gift of the Word of God and the privilege that we are given to nurture our little ones in the knowledge of God. Our connections are on the inside of the bulletin. Call your attention. There will not be a blood pressure check this morning. That will come later. Yeah, a gals group this evening. September the 18th, our uh, third Friday fellowship with uh, a night of classic jazz. And uh, all of us are invited, and you can sign up out in the patio this morning. Pancake breakfast coming on September the 27th. Our fall uh, book review of All the Light We Cannot See, which is a book I highly recommend to you that uh, you join in and, and enjoy that book. Our men's retreat coming in October. Men, if you have not yet uh, signed up, we encourage you to do so. It's one of the really fun events that we celebrate every fall during the month of October. Women's small group Bible study beginning uh, September the 15th with Judy Bell. Our mom's group beginning on September the 18th. Instructions uh, given here. And then our adult Bible studies, September the 20th, begin uh, on Sunday mornings and then on Tuesday evenings in the parlor, uh, tracking along uh, our uh, Sunday presentations on the parables of Jesus. Chancel choir, my goodness, there's so much that it's really hard to review them all. Just encourage you to um, take the uh, connections with you each week and review the activities and part choose to participate. Our pastor's Bible studies are Tuesday and Wednesday morning. I'd love to uh, see some of you joining with us for that. Presbytery events that are listed here. Uh, one of our the leaders of our theology and worship department in Louisville uh, will be with us this week in various contexts interpreting 
the mission and worship of the church. Let's now center our hearts in the worship of God as we pray together. Lord, uh, we do uh, trust our lives into your care. You are sovereign, Lord. You created the heavens and the earth. You've redeemed us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You filled us with your Holy Spirit. This morning we pray that we will be able to see and to hear and to believe and to trust you with our lives. And may the word of the kingdom prosper in our souls. We ask in your name. Amen. We are called to worship this morning with the words from Psalm 146, which we'll read responsively. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God all my life long. Happy are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He upholds the orphan and the widow, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, 
for all generations. Praise the Lord. Let us stand and praise the Lord together. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise him, for he is thy help and salvation. All ye who hear, now to his temple draw near. Join me in glad
what the Lord has done in me, amazing grace. This morning we sing the Psalms of 130 as an invitation to confession and Psalm 131 as the assurance of pardon. This morning we'll sing in a style called metrical song. Unlike plain song, metrical psalm has a standard rhythm and a melody that you can hear and it's set to the tune this morning of springtime. It's a five-note scale, which is a restful scale. So it sets this psalm to a pastoral setting of watching and waiting and resting upon our God. So, church, we can ease our weary eyes, for we know that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, who in every respect has been tested as we are and yet without sin. And so this morning we come boldly and approach the throne of grace to receive his help in time of need. Will you pray with me? O eternal and unchanging God, cleanse us from all that offends you and all that hurts the body of Christ. 
Deliver us from proud or arrogant thoughts and from selfish and vain desires. Renew our hearts. Make them to be hearts that are reverent and humble towards you and gracious towards one another. And Lord, as the psalmist has modeled for us in this psalm, we draw near to you. We trust in your promise to forgive again and again and again. And so we come this morning confessing our faults, confiding in your abundant grace. So hear us now in the silence as we come boldly before you. And once my soul is still in You're in this place. 
when you see uh, Brian and Jackie Pearson, uh, you might congratulate them on the marriage of their daughter, Julie, to Frank McDonough up in Northern California. She is one of the children of our church, and uh, the parents are celebrating up there this week. Now we listen for the Word of God from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, story of uh, John the Baptist, and then over to the parable of the sower that we're working with throughout this fall time. Now when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and proclaim his message in their cities. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his apostles and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them, and blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. In chapter 13, verse 1, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables or stories, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. Verse 18, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. We are in your presence, living Lord. And we are asking that your word be blessed by the power of your spirit. May your grace rest upon us. And may our eyes be open to see, and our ears to hear, and our inner lives empowered to understand the gospel of the kingdom. We pray in your name. Amen.
John the Baptist, whose ministry stands at the beginning of each of the Gospels, have been about his ministry for some time. He was Jesus' cousin. And he had been called to announce that the kingdom of God was at hand and to call the nation of Israel to repent, to receive their Messiah. And so he began to preach down by the Jordan River, wearing leather skins with a belt around him and eating wild honey. John was a, he was a wild man in many ways. The prophetic word had not been heard for centuries in Israel. And now suddenly, a firebrand down by the river, proclaiming to the nation, prepare yourselves for the coming of the Lord. John had been shaped and formed by the vision of the kingdom of God coming. He had read and had been formed by the words of Isaiah the prophet, and so he proclaimed it to the nations, and there he called the nation. And the people from throughout Judea and from Jerusalem, the religious authorities, the political authorities, the masses of the people went down to the Jordan 20 miles away to listen to this evangelist proclaim the word of the Lord. He called for the nation to repent, to turn around, to turn to the living God, to open their eyes and their ears to see that God was on the move in their time. Don't we long to have such clear vision as that? The Pharisees and the Sadducees did not take very kindly to the message of John. They were religious authorities in Jerusalem. And John said to them, why did you come out here, you brood of vipers? Not the message that the congregation wants to hear on Sunday morning. You brood of vipers. Why are you here? Repent. Turn around. Be baptized in the Jordan. Walk in a new way. And the authorities became even more nervous and anxious about this firebrand in the desert who said there was one coming after him that would baptize not with water, but with fire and the Spirit. Get ready. In some ways, John the Baptist overstepped himself because he publicly critiqued King Herod Antipas of Galilee for stealing his brother's wife and committing adultery. And Herod didn't take kindly to that. He had John arrested and thrown into a prison and into a fortress down in the desert. We do not know for how long, but it was a time in which John began to languish and to struggle with his own dark thoughts He began to wonder if Jesus, to whom he had witnessed, was the one 
who was the Messiah of Israel. And so he sent two of his disciples to Jesus with this question with which he struggled. Are you the one who is to come? Or are we to wait for another? That question said it all. John was struggling with his faith. Perhaps in reading the word and listening to the word and he had seen incorrectly. John had this expectation that when the kingdom of God would come, it would come with power and glory and the Messiah would come and drive out the enemies of Israel and establish his reign in Jerusalem. All would be made well. The wicked would be judged and driven out and God would rule forever. The Lord reigns. And that was his longing. That's what he wanted to see. But how was it that John could now be in prison in the desert knowing that his life was threatened and indeed before long King Herod Antipas had him beheaded? We've seen such things on our television, things happening at the hands of the evil of ISIS, decapitating people. We thought we'd live beyond that. And it's tremendously discouraging to see things happening in human history. John was suffering, and it may well be that his own heart was beginning to be hardened. And it was likely that the evil one was present seeking to snatch the word of the kingdom to destroy his faith, hope, and love, to turn him into a frozen rock, to lead him to the place where perhaps he would lose his hope. If you find yourself in a situation like that, where your dreams, your expectations, your hopes, life itself has not panned out the way that you expected or wanted. And you begin to wonder, where is God in in all of this? I've been baptized. I've been to the Jordan, and I've gone under the waters. And life seemed to be going so well, and now with reverse circumstances or with painful circumstances, with dealing with one's own mortality and possibility of death, if not of oneself, of one's loved one. And just the life of the world itself, sometimes we can despair about. Sometimes we feel this way about the church. I've invested heavily over the years in the Presbyterian Church USA. In the last two to three years, some of those dreams about a national vital moving church through whom God is at work have been disappointed. I've wondered, where is God in all of that? This summer I took sort of a combined vacation and study leave, a Baltic cruise, and visited some of the Scandinavian capitals, and it was a wonderful time, and I felt like I was on a history journey 
even on the, the beautiful ship, they showed videos of what was happening in Europe in the 1900s and the 2000s. And the last century in which we lived, the most violent century in the history of the world. We came into the harbor in Oslo, Norway. And as we were leaving, I noticed that there were huge, maybe not so huge, but large iron chairs planted in the grass beside the harbor. And I asked about that. The guide said, well, that commemorates what happened in Norway in World War II. In order to get along with the Nazis, we had to deliver up over 750 Jews and send them to concentration camps in Europe. Only 30 came back after the war. The interesting thing about those iron chairs is that there are no seats in them. Just absence. Absence of those who should have remained at the table, the Norwegian table, but who were offered up and did not come back, who were the victims of evil in some way like John the Baptist was. Maybe in a far deeper sense, a symbol of the absence of God. And the cry of a people across Europe is six million Jews were rounded up and sent to the concentration camps. Where is God when we need him, when we're in prison? And how was it that so few Christians stood up? And where was the church to oppose the Fuhrer who declared himself to be the Lord of both state and church? And who gathered all the power unto himself? to do what he wanted to do in a totalitarian evil kingdom that led to the deaths of millions of people and the destruction. How could this happen in the highest development of Christian civilization of any nation in Europe? There weren't many heroes, people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer and a few others. We commemorate those losses in the memorial in Berlin by the Brandenburg Gate. Acres of stones symbolizing the loss of people and the suffering that came into Europe during that time. Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we wait for another? We remembered 9-11 this week. Once again, we saw a replay of those planes flying into the towers in New York City. And I remember getting up that morning and seeing the news, not being able to believe it, and thought to myself, you better do your journaling now because for the rest of the day and from here on out, your life is going to be totally changed. I went back and I remembered what I wrote that morning in my prayers. Now it almost seems like with the meltdown in the Middle East, with ISIS, 
and nuclear agreements in Iran and Israel and the Arab Spring and refugees more than since World War II running for safety and security. And any sensitive soul has to begin to ask themselves, where is history going? It's so easy for the suffering and the evil of the world to compress the soil of our lives so that our hearts become hardened paths, unreceptive to the good news of the gospel. Are you the one who we are expecting? Or should we wait for another? Suffering has a way of doing things to others. It can, it can harden the pathway of our life and make, desensitize us, make it difficult for us to be present in the face of suffering. But it can also soften the soil of our lives. I, I love the interview that Stephen Colbert did with Vice President Biden this week on The Late Show. First week, a powerful testimony of two men of faith. I don't care what your, religious, what your political party is. Those were two men of faith, both of whom had suffered the loss of loved ones and who in humility were able to share and to comfort one another, men who had not lost hope. Soft hearts. That's the kind of heart I want to have. There's no capability that any of us has of escaping the trials and tribulations of the life and the test, the darkness can move in upon us when we least expect it. I visited with my mother, my 102-year-old mother we were speaking about earlier this morning back in the prayer room, and some folks were asking me about mom, and Sometimes she knows me and we talk together and then all of a sudden she's talking to her deceased brother or seeing things that I cannot see. I think of the times through which she lived as a teenager, the years of the Great Depression and all the ways that she nurtured my life and held me and tried to get me to eat food and begged me to bite, take just one bite when I was this little emaciated kid with really bad tonsils. She never let me forget that. She said, if you ever begin to eat, I will never try to stop you from eating. I'll keep feeding you. So by the time I was a senior in high school, I was, I was pumped up pretty good. Because <laughs> when the tonsils came out, I, I began to eat. And It was so hard for me to be in that care facility with her, with my sister. Not because of her, but because of all the people there whose tragedies and suffering and losses were simply overwhelming. 
And one evening we sat at the dining room table. My sister on one side, she was feeding mother, shoveling the food into her mouth. I was there and I was feeding the woman across the table. (laughs) And everything within me wanted to run from that dining room. Finally, I asked the woman about, about her life, her story, and I didn't know if she was present enough to respond or not, and all of a sudden, it's like the light went on. <laughs> and she told me she was a pastor's wife, a Baptist pastor's wife, and all the churches that they had served. I was there feeding her. One of the nurses came over and said, don't feed her anymore. We, she can feed herself. <laughs> it's been the dilemma of my life. How do you care for people when they should be caring for themselves? You know what? The longer I was in that place, the more I wanted to be there. You know why? Because God was in that place. And there were humble servants who were doing things with people whose lives were broken that I found great difficulty in doing And I felt totally inadequate. But I'm beginning to learn. Life has a way of stretching us. Last Friday I waited in the surgery waiting room in Hogue Hospital for the surgery on my wife to be complete. It was a correction from a surgery 10 years ago. But it went on for a long time. And into the evening, and the hour grew dark, and I was the only one in the waiting room. And I was trying to review a manuscript of a sermon for this morning. I realized I couldn't preach that sermon, but I had to be open and honest with you about what's been going on in my life. Four and a half hours later, the nurses kept calling me from the operating room saying, she's doing just fine, don't worry. I went into the recovery room finally. She was about the only one in there. And to see her face smiling and being as feisty as ever, was wonderful. I'd only waited about 10 hours to get all day long for that one look. Saturday morning, she said, I don't remember you being there. (laughs) So much for my good efforts. (laughs) But I, in those moments, began to realize that I could be a John the Baptist in a prison, waiting, Longing for healing and wholeness. You've been there. You know what I'm talking about. I admire so many of you able to do things with people, to feed the homeless, to care about the world mission of the church. If we could all tell our own stories here this morning, it would be phenomenal. And it would be such a source of encouragement. For us, it's these kinds of things that stretch our souls, 
I found myself praying in myself and reading Scripture like never before and hearing Scripture in a new way, and suddenly the seeds of the gospel of the kingdom were being nurtured within me. And my eyes began to open and to see that beautiful hospital and those doctors and nurses and all those caregivers and to realize they were all there for me and my family and for yours. Thank God. Don't run to the hospital to see Kay this afternoon. She's a very private person. I went home, walked the dog, fed him, fed myself, went to bed, began to read, as I had been reading already, the book by Philip and Carol Zaleski on the Inklings, the literary giants from Oxford. Their story, J.R.R. Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, Owen Barfield, and others who came in and out of the fellowship. They were dons, they were by and large teachers at Oxford at the university there. A place that I have idealized in my own thoughts, dreams, and appreciated. If I had to live my life over again, I'd study at Oxford. Actually bought a baseball cap from Oxford and the dog ate it. <laughs> Didn't eat it, but he chewed it up. It's an embarrassment to wear. This group of Christian intellectuals met in the local pub every week called the, the eagle and the child or the bird and the baby. And they would smoke their cigars and their pipes and drink and eat and read manuscripts to each other, critique each other. And one of my visits to Oxford, I, I went to that pub and I ate and I drank. I didn't smoke. Tried to absorb the ambience of being in that place and what this new book that is just absolutely outstanding says, I just wanted to read just a short little section to you. They were saying you can't idealize Oxford or the Inklings. He said they had to contend with troublesome families, threadbare pockets, cantankerous colleagues, dim students, urban congestion, and two world wars in which they had lost thousands of their fellow students and citizens. The unavoidable harshness of life surprised none of them. Hear that again. The unavoidable harshness of life surprised none of them. For they were Christians, one and all, believing that they had inhabited, that they inhabited a fallen world, albeit one filled with God's grace. Don't miss that. They were Christians, one and all, 
believing that they inhabited a fallen world, albeit one filled with God's grace. This was the message that John the Baptist needed to receive when he sent his disciples to question Jesus. Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we wait for another? And Jesus said to those two disciples and sent them, said, you go and you tell John that the blind are seeing, the deaf are hearing, the lame are walking, the dead are being raised. And blessed are those who are not offended by Jesus. Where are you with Jesus? I want to testify I'm not offended by Jesus. He is my Lord and Savior. And his spirit is in my heart and in the life of this church. And from time to time, I can see the glory of the Lord walking down the highways and the byways of life, down these pews, up and down these aisles, in your life and mine. I can see and I can hear and I can begin to glimpse what God is doing. Grace is on the move. For those who can see and hear and believe and understand and allow the hard soil of their lives to be tilled until it becomes fertile soil. And that's what I want to talk about in these coming weeks. How we tend the soil. So that we can bear fruit and persevere and endure and defend the vulnerabilities that our hearts have when the evil one comes to snatch the word of the kingdom from our hearts. Don't let him do it. He's a liar and has been a murderer from the beginning. Don't let him do it. Stand fast, be immovable. Abide in Christ. Allow his word and his spirit to transform your life and your heart and your mind. Thanks be to God. Stand with me and join in our affirmation of faith. Words from both Hebrews and Romans. We read responsively. Therefore, while the promise of entering God's rest is still open, let us take care that none of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For indeed, the good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the word of Christ. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. 
as we receive our morning offering. Jerry, thank you for preaching that sermon. Amen. This is a... This is a song that got Michael Card into a lot of trouble. I've imagined him all of my life as the wisest of all of mankind. But if God's holy wisdom is foolish to man, he must have seemed out of his mind. Even his family said he was mad. The priest said a demon's to blame. This angry young man could not have seemed perfectly sane. When we in our foolishness thought we were wise, he played the fool and he opened our eyes. When we in our weakness believed we were strong, he became helpless to show we were wrong. So we follow surrender the hunger to say you must know have the courage to say I believe for the power of paradox opened your eyes and blinds those who say they can see we in our foolishness thought we were wise he played the fool and he opened our eyes we in our believe we were strong he became helpless to show we were wrong and so we follow God's own fool for only the foolish can tell believe the unbelievable and come be a fool as well and so we Tender and compassionate God, we thank you for inviting all your children into your kingdom. Let us see each other with your eyes. 
Too often, we are afraid to examine ways in which we fall short of your kingdom purposes, to accept without reservation those who are disabled in body or mind. Forgive our apathy, our narrow-mindedness, our misunderstandings. Forgive our, our laziness of effort to be inclusive, to love spontaneously, to welcome genuinely. Call forth our best selves and help us to lift each other up. Bless those among us with disabilities, those who are still outside looking in, those who long to feel included. Prepare our hearts to set about being one people, the inclusive body of Christ, ministers of unconditional love. May we follow the example of Christ who opened himself to all, the powerful and the powerless alike. We pray for those who suffer from prejudice, greed, or violence, that the heart of humanity may warm with your tenderness. For all in need because of famine, flood, or earthquake, that they may know the hope of your faithfulness through the help of others and through the church. Look also upon the ministry of this church and upon the children and students of this church, those who teach them and those who love them. May you increase their courage, strengthen their faith, and in doing so, inspire this church's witness to all people. Yes, even to the ends of the earth. We make bold to consecrate ourselves and we dedicate this offering to you and to the service of others. As we contribute to the needs of your people, we present ourselves as living sacrifices for the service of your kingdom, serving Jesus Christ, your son, our only savior, who taught us to pray. Our, our Father, Father, who art, who art in, in heaven, heaven hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the, and the glory forever. Amen. Our closing song, God of Justice, it's found on your music insert. We have just affirmed that we believe that everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. And the Apostle Paul says to the church, how are they to believe, how are they to hear without someone to proclaim Christ? And so church, we must go. As freely we've received.
resurrected Lord stood in the upper room with his disciples on that Easter Sunday. And he said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. This is the mission of God through Jesus and his church. We are bearers of God's grace to one another, to a hurting, broken despairing world. Be the light. Let the light shine so that all will see and hear and walk humbly with the living God. Amen.